Well, hello there, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com. And today I have a special guest, Naomi Rabin, on the line. And I'm just really excited for y'all to hear this conversation. We dive deep into nutrition, training, health, wellness, longevity, how to set yourself up for success and build the right habits on the front end so you're not having to try and backpedal and make it for lost time on the back end. And the more we talk, the more we dove into these matters, the more I realized that we're just speaking the same language here. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was so refreshing to hear her take on, you know, especially women's health, like what calorie count is healthy, what metabolism should look like, you know, especially as they get older, you know, like menopause, what 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 should health and nutrition look like at that stage of one's life? Just a lot of really good information here. So without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy the conversation with Naomi. I know you will because I certainly did. Live, Naomi. How are you? I'm doing great, Robert. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully well as well. I'm excited to have this conversation because you have been in the keto space. You said you were introduced to it in 2013 by your husband. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. He um, we he used to be in bodybuilding. Um, he did a couple competitions. He was a boxer in high school and. Um, I, I did my one and only competition in 2012, and um, I wanted to maintain my physique because that was the whole reason why I wanted to compete in the first place was just to get that physique. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was playing around with my nutrition. I'm, I'm, um, nutrition is, is my first passion. I, I'm so fascinated by it and how the body uh, reacts to nutrition. And he told me about uh, this book called uh, Body Opus by Dan Duchesne. It was released in 1996, and it was my first introduction to the keto diet. And I just, I, I was blown away by it because I'd never heard anything like it. The amount of fat uh, to protein to carb ratio that, that you're supposed to eat. Um, he does do a carb up. Um, in his book, the protocol for the body opus is um, involves a carb up where you replenish all of your glycogen. Um, and so I that was the first thing that I did in 2013 was I, I tried to follow his his uh, protocol for that. And see, and, 2013, there was like hardly any information out there. I mean, you and I have been in the space for a while kind of playing around with that nutritionally speaking. And like when I got into it, there was I mean, it's nothing like it is today. Yeah, um, I am still pretty blown away by, um, you know, passing in the aisles at Walmart and, you know, Publix and Kroger and and seeing keto coffee and keto bars and everything. There's a version of keto and everything. I mean, even even in a vitamin shop, I remember um, there was not anything. There was nothing keto. And now there's a whole entire section dedicated just um, to keto products. And I'm still just like, I cannot believe this. <laughs> it's weird now because like I was at Whole Foods the other day and like companies are, are getting a little sneaky. They'll put keto on a package just to play off of that buzzword. I mean, there was a, a package of, uh, I think it was cacao powder, just normal mm-hmm. cacao powder. And cacao powder has always just been cacao powder, but this one had keto cacao powder written on the label just so that they could play off of that keto word. It was kind of kind of funny. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I feel like uh, a lot, you know, food companies are doing what food companies do, and that is, um, you know, market their, their packages on their products to go with whatever the trend is at the time. And, you know, I don't know if some of these food companies even fully understand what keto truly is. So it is very frustrating from my end, um, you know, having to explain to some, you know, clients who are interested in trying keto, why they shouldn't be eating most of the stuff that is out on the shelves. Um, And I think that it's just one of those things where food companies, you know, they have a, they have a marketing team. My dad is actually a food scientist and he is the director of food safety for Bush's baked beans. And he works with the FDA on labeling and food packaging. And they have an entire marketing department on how to, you know, what the consumers are interested in and how do you market this food um, to, to the Decide what the society is interested in at the time. And right now it is keto. And what food companies I think are heavily depending on is that consumers do not take the time to read the ingredients Mm -hmm. and not not even, you know, I, I try to educate my clients and tell them it's not even the amount of calories, proteins, carbs, and fats. Look at the ingredients because Um, You know, in talking with my dad, uh, working with the FDA, I learned that um, there's a certain percentage of the amount of food or ingredient that has to be in a product in order for it to be, um, you know, claim like, you you know, how some products are, um, say, zero sugar, Mm -hmm. but then you read on the the ingredients list and it says sugar. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's because there's a it's under a certain percentage. Um, so I, and I also think that there's a lot of ingredients that can um, uh, that can and do affect people's insulin levels. But, you know, you don't have to um, they might not be high in carbs. Mm-hmm. So a company may say, oh, this is keto because it's it's got this amount of fat and this amount of protein and this amount of carb ratio. Um, but the specific ingredient may cause a reaction in insulin levels, you know. Yeah, I always try and test. Like if I'm if I'm playing around with a new food product, I'll always try and do like a test. Like I'll have a blood glucose uh, reading before consumption, then you know, thirty minutes after, an hour after, two hour, two hours after. And I recommend my clients do that too, because even if a certain food product doesn't have a negative effect on me you know, it might on one of my clients. So I want to have that information in my back pocket so I kind of adjust what they're consuming accordingly. Yes. Yeah. You know, I I did that once with, uh, I was really curious about grapefruit. Mm -hmm. And my insulin did not have a huge spike with grapefruit. Really? That's interesting. I haven't had grapefruit in years. (laughs) I know. And, and, you know, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if the grapefruit's special. <laughs> I don't well, see, know. I used to always, when I did eat grapefruit, I would just like slather the entire top of it with sugar. So that would probably <laughs> definitely spike my, my glucose a little bit. Yeah. I bet it would taste pretty sweet to you now. I, I remember when it used to taste really, really sour. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, your taste buds change so much um, based on what you, what you would, you know, you adjust to your eating. And, uh, you know, it's it's so weird how great. I mean, I haven't had grapefruit in probably about a year and a half. Yeah. But 
it started to taste really sweet to me, which was wild. Yeah, I noticed the biggest shift with like dark chocolate. I used to hate dark chocolate. If it wasn't milk mm-hmm. chocolate, I wouldn't eat it. But now it's like I, I, I just eat 100% dark chocolate. If I'm going to eat chocolate, it's 100% dark chocolate without the sweeteners or anything. Um, it's just pure dark chocolate, and I can appreciate the flavor that it brings. Yeah, me too. The Like the baking chocolate in the mm-hmm. in the baking section. <laughs> yeah, it's not even in the chocolate section. It's in the baking right. section. <laughs> Nobody else is eating yeah. it like that. So I want to kind of pick your brain as to why you think it's seen such a, a spike. I mean, you know, you and I were both in the in the keto space before there was a keto space. What do you think contributed to it having the boom that it's had? Um, I think that um, it was. I mean, the, you know, the the word of mouth is is the most effective. Um, way to get something going and I I just I don't know I don't know what the one thing is that spurred everything but because Atkins was doing low carb for forever mm-hmm. you know um, and um, I mean I just I think that you know the the People had started getting results and words started spreading and then food companies started jumping on the bandwagon um, and it was just this domino effect. But um, I, I think that, you know, I, I caution most of my clients don't do keto. Most of my clients just do, you know, a regular – I'm in a really interesting position because I think a lot of your guests and audience are in the keto space. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, you know, surrounded by people who are not in the keto space is doing or something. And, and it's, it's well known that I'm, I eat keto in that space. And so if somebody's interested in trying keto, then they'll, they'll um, ask me to, to coach them and teach them and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think that, um, that people for the most part are always looking for something different to try mm-hmm. and thing because whatever they're doing maybe isn't working or uh, they're bored with it or um you know they they can eat bacon for the first time in like 20 years yeah <laughs> maybe, that's a big win that's the only reason um but i I personally feel like if you don't have nutritional self-discipline and self-control with a regular diet, you should not be trying keto (laughs) because, you know, if you can't, um, you know, control your like hunger or your, um, in, you know, your indulgences or your cravings or whatever with a, with a regular carb, you know, the standard American diet, I don't know that it's going to be any better with keto. Like that's not going to fix some of these other issues that you might have. And it may actually make things worse because you're eating fat, but then all of a sudden you're at a party and, you know, there's no food that you can eat and you have cake and you have a craving so unless you, I kind of feel like keto, unless you have the self-discipline, keto is a little bit more of an advanced thing because 
a lot of times people think that um, there's not a lot of variety in their what with what they can eat or they're bored with what they're eating. So um, they're going to try keto because they can eat all these foods. But I, I think that you run into the same issues that you had with, you know, any diet that you try. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there because, I mean, like for me personally, I was binging and you know, doing all kinds of crazy eating things before keto. And then keto was the only thing that helped me fix that. But I was, I had the discipline to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be keto. And then I wouldn't try and blur the lines and also have carbohydrates. I, I do yeah. agree with what you're saying in that if you're, you're going to do keto, you need to do keto and not, you know, have keto foods one day and have a lot of dietary fat and then have a big cake, you know, cookies the next day and have a bunch of carbs because that's what's going to get you into trouble. Right, right. And I mean, it, it may, I may be generalizing, it may be the solution for some people, it may be just what they were, they're looking for. Um, and it may help subside hunger and cravings, um, if they are committed to it, and, and do it right. And, um, you know, do it under, um, you know, maybe under like the right guidance and have the right information. I just think that with, with it being so popular and with there being so much information out there about, Oh, well you can have this on keto or no, you can't have this on keto or whatever, making sure that you're, you're doing it the right way, I think is really important because that's the only way that you're going to be successful with it. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording kind of about how, you know, what keto is has transformed over the years as it's become more popular and people have got all their different variations of what keto is and what it looks like. And I feel like it's kind of gotten loose in a sense and people have taken that and run with it and it's, it's wound up being, you know, it, it hurts them in the long run because they don't see the results that they could and should as efficiently as possible because they're trying to be too loose with what keto is in its essence. Right. Right. They're, so they're really doing more of a low carb, which is totally fine. Um, but there, there's, there are a lot of misconceptions about what, you know, what a keto diet is. Although I, I think it depends on each person too, because I know that some people have, um, like higher, uh, carb tolerances. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was listening to one of your most recent podcasts about how the longer you are eating keto, the, the, like the higher protein tolerance you can have. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with, with me, um, earlier in the year, I was training for a 50 K my carbs were, it's not what I would consider keto. I was not eating keto, but I do feel like because I was running for so long and my heart rate was so high during my training, I, I ended up, once I started running through my glycogen, I ended up in ketosis, you know, and using ketones. Um, I think, I think that it, it's really interesting how, one of the most common questions I get asked as an endurance athlete um, is, well, don't you need carbs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's I, it's so that just tells me that people don't understand what keto what a keto diet is because 
I mean, I have run 15 miles on fasted before and it feels amazing. It feels wonderful. It feels better to me to run longer distances on an empty stomach or, um, you know, being fat adapted than it does eating carbs. Um, but I, it just tells me that people don't understand that a keto diet means your body is running off of ketones, not glycogen. Therefore, it doesn't matter if you run out of glycogen because you're not using it for fuel anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's honestly one of the main motivations behind me running that marathon uh, last year because, I mean, I'm not a runner by any stretch of the imagination, but I wanted to illustrate that I can run a marathon fasted without carbs and be totally fine. And from a fuel standpoint, I was totally fine. Like, I didn't bonk once. I didn't break any world records, but again, that was my first time running in probably 10 years. Um, So just completing it, I thought was a pretty good win. But I think the conception from a I feel like keto as a as a diet has become very popular in the you know weight loss circles but I feel like it's going to be it's going to it's lagging in the performance sector especially within like the bodybuilding and muscle building you know demographic like they're going to be the last to look and kind of adopt the ketogenic lifestyle as a you know a, a viable solution to their nutritional needs. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I think that um, it, it's another misconception out there is that you can't build muscle on a keto diet. And I think that I have uh, unintentionally debunked so many myths out there <laughs> with being an endurance athlete eating keto, with being a bodybuilder eating keto, um, with running and bodybuilding and maintaining muscle all on keto, you know, um, I, I just, I think that it's really fun to use yourself as an experiment to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to believe this. I'm going to try it and see it for myself, but you absolutely, your body, the human body is absolutely incredible. And I think that, um, we all, um, underestimate what what our, the human body is capable of. It's very adaptable um, and it knows what's, what it's doing. And I think we try to manipulate it too much instead of just like letting things happen. And, and um, you know, if you, if you intuitively feed your body what feels good, which to me, it feels, it feels very good to eat keto. My mind feels good. My blood sugar levels stay even keel. My moods are better. Um, my sleep is amazing. Um, I feel much more thermogenic mm-hmm. when I eat keto. Um, but I think that if you, you know, if you are in tune with your body and in tune with what feels good and what it likes to be fed, um, everything else kind of falls into place if you trust it, you know? Totally, totally agree. I mean, honestly, that's that's the reasoning that I use for why I stay strict keto. It just feels right. But then also why I've maintained, you know, being a natural bodybuilder as opposed to introducing, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, steroids, testosterone, stuff like this. It's like your body is capable of so much more than people give it credit for, especially when you get things dialed in and you push it. And it, it saddens me to see people so quick to reach for the the biggest shortcuts. I mean, 
that to me is just the fault of the mind more so than the body. But like, I want to be able to embrace the challenge and, and being able to see what you can achieve naturally in a proper nutritional state is exciting to me. Like I, I want to push my body and mind and see if it rises to the occasion, you know? Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate because um, one thing that I realized, like I, I love data. Um, I know you do too. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that a, like a year or two ago, I started having a little bit of a shift. Um, I, I food journal every day. I, I just like to food journal. I don't necessarily care if I hit my, my if I go over or under, I know that it may be, you know, for various reasons or whatever but um i feel like like i used to check my blood glucose and everything like that but i feel like i started to shift to be much more like kind of having a conversation with my body and saying okay how do you feel about this or whatever and i i feel like some people can go their whole entire lives and you know wanting to get information from outside and wanting to to get educated with this and learn about that and all that stuff and they don't even take the time to learn about their own body and 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 you know have i mean i don't think people think about the relationship that they have with their own mind and their own body. But I feel like eating keto and, and bodybuilding and running and challenging myself has really made me have a much closer internal relationship. Um, and I just feel like, um, you know, people are missing out if they if they don't take the time to, you know, really learn what their body is feeling when they eat certain foods and, and um, just really, you know, that mind muscle connection Mm -hmm. and body awareness when you're working out, I feel like it, you can have that there, that element with, with food and nutrition too. And, you know, sometimes you really need to just like listen to your own body and say, okay, I don't feel good when I do this. Like, I'll give you an example. I, I grew up in New Orleans and, and, you know, drank alcohol casually, like my whole life was exposed to it, you know, when I was really young, um, cause New Orleans is just kind of known for that. And, um, I, I love red wine and I decided a year and a half ago, it was January 6th of 2019. I was like, you know, my body doesn't like this. My mind doesn't like this. Um, I love it. I, I've always loved, you know, a glass of red wine, but I decided to just stop drinking because I realized that my body did not like it anymore. And I can't believe that I, I mean, I never thought I would say, you know, I would say that I don't drink anymore, but that's just an example of, well, my body just doesn't like it anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. Just don't, I don't think people take enough time to really have that body awareness in in all facets, including nutrition, and that's why there's so much of that struggle out there with nutrition. Totally agree. And there's there's certain instances like where you know there's a give and take. Like you may not like your your body may not feel good or optimal with the, with the red wine, and mm-hmm. for you personally, that's like something that you put as a priority. So it makes total sense to negate the red wine. Um, but like other people, they may say, okay, look, my body does not do well with the red wine, but that, that 
relaxation, that mental, you know, appreciation I get from it exceeds that, you know, momentary dip in performance, and that's fine too. But being self-aware enough to know and recognize that and making that decision, you know, from a place of self-awareness is is the key part there. Like you have to be accepting and know your body and your mind well enough to know how you feel, how you respond, and what your overall goal is. That that you actually brought up a very, very good point. And this is something that I work with my clients on. Um, I have one client who, who loves uh, hamburger and french fries. And, you know, I... I said, okay, well, let's figure out how we can incorporate this into your life because you love it and you don't want to give it up. And, you know, let's just figure out how you can reach your goals and still have that in your life. And, you know, she drinks red wine and, you know, I always joke with her. I'm like, okay, we'll have a glass for me too, because I do miss it. The mental, what you're talking about, that relaxation. Um, I just decided to me, it's a, it was a choice. Um, but I, you know, I, I do miss it and I do appreciate the, the taxation of it. Um, but I, I really think, uh, you know, as a coach helping people, it's really helping them just not struggle anymore. And if, if they're struggling with food addictions or carbs or, um, wanting to have a certain physique or, you know, wanting to change their nutritional habits or, you know, wanting to be able to have better form with their workouts. It's, it's really, what is it that's going to make you not feel like you're struggling in your life anymore? And whatever that is, you know, that's the key. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be something that you're excited about sticking with indefinitely, because that's the only way it's going to become sustainable. Like if, if I mean, you and I could probably talk all day long about clients' mentality and outlook towards dieting and nutrition in the first place. But whenever I get a client that says to me, you know, I've got this specific date, you know, in 90 days or 30 days or 60 days, or whatever, and I just want to get leaned out for that. And then after that, I'm just going to go back to normal. Like those are the ones that more often than not don't even last a couple of weeks. Right. It's right. unfortunate. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it really is. Well, do you, it, it's, it's about choice. And like I, when, when I was growing up, I mean, I, you know, I, I looked up to, uh, well, I watched, you know, Xena warrior princess and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, just, um, you know, the artist Boris Yeltsin, he used to draw all those um, like muscular warrior women on the trapper keeper covers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I I remember thinking if I knew what I had to do to look like that, I would do it. Yeah. I I remember thinking that, you know, if I could look like that, I would do whatever I wanted, whatever I knew I needed to do to look like that. And, um, that, you know, when that was the reason why I competed in the first place was because I wanted to know what it took to transform a physique from, you know, had like a typical runner body. I don't know, kind of like not skinny fat, but um, not a lot of muscle. Mm-hmm. I was never overweight, but just not a lot of muscle. And um, I trained with a trainer who had competed before for a year and I actually wanted to go for a year and a half because I knew that it was going to take a long time. 
but I knew once I got that physique, I was going to do whatever I needed to do to maintain it. And I guess I do get, I get a little frustrated when, when I get a client and they tell me what they want, what their goals are. I'm like, okay, this is what you need to do to, to reach those goals. And it's going to take a long time. (laughs) You know, it's going to take, I don't know, it took me a year, year and a half to just get that initial transformation. But I really didn't start seeing the physique that I wanted to see until probably about three years, four years after I was lifting because I didn't take any shortcuts. And I didn't want I didn't want to either. I wanted to get stronger naturally, however my body, however long it took my body to get there. I wasn't in a hurry. You know, I just wanted to do it the right way. And maybe that's where that's where people go wrong is that they just, you know, want results right now. But I just feel like, you know, your life is going to pass by anyway. Three years is going to pass by anyway. Why not just lift and eat right (laughs) those three years so that three years from now you can look back and say, wow, you know, I I made a a good use of those three years because I'm happy where I'm at right now and I have the physique that I want to have. And also it's like if you're going to eat food anyway (laughs) – why not eat the food that nourishes your body? I mean, I find it fascinating that we are supposed to be the most intelligent creatures on the planet, yet we are the only animals that don't know what we're supposed to eat or how or when or the quantities or anything like that. I mean, you know, you don't you don't see, um, I don't know, like you don't see a squirrel saying, you know, what, what kind of nuts do I need to eat? And, you know, it's just funny how we question one of the most basic um, survival skills. I just find that fascinating. But um, I think one of the biggest things is, is people looking at food as nourishment. And I understand that it's, you know, just, you know, addictions or, um, you know, traditions. I know there's a lot of cultural things tied to food. It's just, there's so many things that, that is centered, that food is centered around other than nourishment and human survival. And I love knowing that the food that I am putting in my body is nourishing it and making it stronger and healthier so that when I'm 70 or 80 years old, I know that I did everything that I could to be the healthiest 70 or 80 year old that I could be. Yeah, I, I absolutely love everything you've you've said. Like I, I need to just shout that from the rooftops because I could not agree more. I mean, especially the analogy of the squirrel. Like when you when you take that high level view of it, it's it's almost laughable how we are, you know, quote unquote, the smartest species out there. Yet we have this just total conundrum with what to put in our mouth and how that affects us. I mean, I, I get the fact that food is is a cultural thing. I get the fact that there's festivities, there's, you know, memories. Like, that's all very fine and well, and I don't want to eliminate that. I mean, food should be enjoyable. It should be pleasurable, but not at the expense of your health. Like, health first, nutrition first, that's the priority, you know, long well-being, and then pleasure second like if you are sitting down to a massive you know cake or pies or just obvious junk food 
because you feel like you have the the right to be unhealthy and squander that just in the name of tradition or you know uh, celebration then then you're fooling yourself i mean you should prioritize your health first because it is a privilege to be able to enjoy those foods in my opinion like i think that may be an unpopular opinion but i view that as a privilege like you owe it to not just yourself but you owe it to your family you owe it to your kids their kids your grandkids like you need to be healthy for their sake so if you are just constantly shoveling shoveling food in your face that you know to be counter to your overall well-being and you're not in a healthy standpoint to begin with then you're doing your loved ones a disservice absolutely not only that but you bring up a good point with you know the next generation and the generation after that um from an evolutionary standpoint we are like going in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know I, i mean um like from an evolutionary standpoint, we are supposed to be getting stronger and fitter. Like that's what, you know, all animal species, they, you know, they try to, um, you know, have a, a stronger line and a healthier line and a fitter line of generations. And I feel like with, it's obvious what is happening because of the babies that are born with diabetes and just the amount of sickness and disease that is being, um, I don't, I don't know what the right phrase is, but it's from an evolutionary standpoint, I feel like we are going in the opposite direction that we should be going in because of our nutrition. And I do feel like what you eat can eventually get into your genetics oh absolutely pass down because if it, if that weren't the case then we wouldn't have to worry about kids being born with diabetes but you know you think about i think that honestly like the the perfect um well this is kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent but with regard to exercise and nutrition and civilization um you know, we've become a lot more civilized. Well, I use the term civilized in a in a very loose way because I don't know if we're actually becoming more uncivilized as we quote unquote progress. But I think the perfect marriage of nutrition, um, the environment, exercise, and civilization was probably in like the 40s and 50s when everybody like lived on farms. And actually, I mean, I, this was before um, the breakfast cereal companies started touting breakfast as the most important meal of the day. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, you know, families woke up, went out, you know, before dawn, worked on the farm for a few hours doing farm chores, came in at like 11, you know, 1030 or 11, and then found a meal of food that was um, you know, bacon from the farm and everything was, all the food was from the farm. So they did their exercise fasted yep. and then, and then ate their first meal at like 11. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I don't know what they did after that, probably worked on the farm some more, but, um, you know, there were, there were, there wasn't a lot of pollution. There wasn't a lot of disease. I mean, that, that I know of, 
Um, they, of course, there were other problems with the lack of modern medicine, but you know, you, you didn't have to worry about going to a gym to exercise because you got your exercise on the farm. You didn't have to worry about eating organic because everything was organic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I feel, sometimes I feel, I know there's always positives and negatives to things, but sometimes I feel like the more civilized we've gotten and the more tech, tech savvy we've gotten, it's, it's been at a very, very high cost. I could not agree more. I feel like, you know, growing up on land, having those responsibilities, you know, for one, it just, like, I grew up on land. I mean, I'm, I feel so blessed to have done that because it gave me, you know, some valuable life skills, like having a strong work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, just simply the lifestyle perspective of it, like you, you are more physically active, I mean, I was picking up rocks before I ever know what a dumbbell was, and I had a pretty good little bicep when I was just a little kid because I was, you know, grew up on land, and I was eating quality food that we raised on that land. Like you just get so many benefits from that lifestyle that you could not get living in the middle of a city with no exposure to, you know, what that may look like. And we can't all live on land now. I get that, but you know, making it a priority to get outside you know, achieve some of these skills and eat food that comes from a place like that is the best thing that we can do now. Yeah. And it, it also was, um, not wasteful, not polluted. You know, we weren't, we were, we were living more with nature Mm -hmm. instead of trying to conquer it, you know, and, uh, with buildings and bricks and, you know, cement and houses and neighborhoods and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel, and, you know, we were working in the dirt and, um, just, uh, it it would be so nice to be able to go back to that (laughs) in some ways, I think. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to get me some land at some point. Um, we have our family farm down South Arkansas, but I'm going to try and get a little plot of lands where Crystal and I can eventually raise some kiddos of our own and have, have our own little, you know, hobby farm where they can you know, be raised doing those same things. It'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Put them to work, free labor. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I feel like you have a unique perspective in that you're in the fitness space, you know, you're working with, uh, you know, endurance athletes, also strength athletes, you're keto, but not necessarily all of them are keto. Plus you're a female. Um, I mean, what, what, what is your typical, client look like like are they coming to you from a place of metabolic damage are they coming to you because you know they're like what is your, what is your typical client i guess yeah well um i i actually i have clients just all across the board um i have one client who um i train i've been training her for i going on two years now um, I, I work online with the Nicole Wilkins, um, training team. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get all of my clients. Well, some of them, um, I think I've gotten, they've just followed me and then, but most of them are either coming off of a, one of her transformation challenges and when I want to get more specific, uh, with their goals. But I, I did train, I do train competitors, um, I trained one competitor last year who ended up getting her pro card 
And um, I used keto as a manipulation tool um, throughout her prep. And it was I, it was really interesting. I, I kind of view food, and this, maybe this is because I grew up with a, a food scientist for a dad, but I view food as, as nourishment first and foremost, but also as chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like a we're like a, a you know a little petri dish, and you know you put your we're like a a, a beacon. In and you put in there and a little bit of that and you wait and see what the chemical reaction is, you know, totally, yeah. um, with, with comp- with competitors, um, and just, you know, more extreme physique transformation clients. I love using carbs and keto and, um, you know, just, I, I love using those variables as manipulation tools and, um, you know, but, but then I also do have, clients who come to me clearly with metabolic damage and I can almost tell right away from their, their pictures. There's just something about, um, clients who have metabolic damage that I can just tell right away that there's something going on there from their pictures. And I don't know if it's the way that their fat is distributed or what it is, but, um, you know, I, I, I have, I have helped people with keto or low carb, um, and help them get healthier. So I, I feel like I'm a pretty versatile trainer because I, I will take anybody pretty much. Um, I, I train men and women, old, young, all different kinds of goals. And I, I love a challenge. I love trying to figure out what it is that they need, how I can help them. Um, and everybody's goals are so different. Um, but it all comes down to that one thing. And it's like, basically being a coach, I feel like my, the, the heart of what I do is helping people be happy with themselves. I love it. What, I love it. What that means can be different from person to person, but ultimately it is finding that inner peace and, and getting rid of whatever it is that they're struggling with and, and help them lead happy lives, good quality happy, healthy lives. So we were talking earlier about the 1940s and how that was a perfect little, you know, pristine environment. Back in the 1940s, if I was to ask you this question, it would be very, very frowned upon and it may still be frowned upon. So if you don't want to answer it, by all means don't. But (laughs) do you mind sharing your age? Oh, I'm 43. 43. Okay. So this is a compliment. I'm actually going to roll into a compliment here. But you are like running very long distances, you're freaking shredded. You've got like more vascularity than I do. I mean, you are very much so the ideal picture of, you know, health and athleticism in, you know, a 43-year-old female. That's very, very impressive. Um, I feel like a lot of females in that age bracket just feel like they're hitting their head up against the wall because they just plateau. Nothing's changing no matter what's going on. You know, most of them look to hormones as the confounding variable like what what is the secret to your success (laughs) (laughs) well I feel like I I feel like we could very well as we age I feel like we could deteriorate and start falling apart I mean I know a lot of a lot of women my age are going through a lot of um, hormonal issues and um, 
ener their energy levels don't, you know, aren't that great. They don't feel like they can gain muscle. They feel like their best years are behind them. And it's just all downhill from here. But I feel like it all goes back to um, knowing, like, deeply having a strong connection and awareness with yourself. I mean, you, you need to have that. And I think a lot of times people are like, I know something is wrong. Um, I, I don't, I personally do not feel like pharmaceutical drugs or, uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of hormone replacement therapy. I know mm -hmm. like I can deal with hot flashes. I would rather have hot flashes than, um, you know, have my hormones be hijacked by something that I don't, that's not natural to them. Totally. Like, I don't care what process I have to go through. And I've had some friends oh, say, oh, you just wait, it gets really bad. But I, this is my approach to pretty much everything. I've never used weight belts or wrist straps or um, even workout gloves um, because I want I wanted my grip to get stronger however it needed to. I want my core to get stronger however it needs to. If I can't squat, and I, I'm not knocking them. I, I think that they are great. Um, if I had, you know, loftier goals of, of squatting more than I do or, or doing heavier lap pull downs, I would definitely, you know, want to use them every once in a while. But I've always just wanted my, my body to do whatever it needed to in order to get stronger and healthier and not try to manipulate it beyond what I think is right for it. Mm -hmm. And all of that comes back down to having a, a really good awareness. Um, you know, if I, if I can't, I mean, I'm sure I could do much heavier lap pull downs than what I do, but then I, you know, if I use wrist straps or whatever, um, but then I would might sacrifice my grip and I'm sure, you know, grip is probably one of the hardest things to to get stronger. I, I, I feel like it's one of the last things to gain strength. Oh, totally. I use wrist straps and my grip sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I mean, I feel like that's my approach to, to everything. Like don't rush it. Don't push it. Don't, unless it's pushing it in a good way. Um, you know, if I don't feel like running, I don't run. And, you know, I, I think another thing with me is that um, I'm I'm more motivated by doing something or achieving a goal because I want to achieve it mm -hmm. instead of feeling like I have to because somebody else is making me. Yeah, that's a that's a huge huge point there. I feel yeah. like a lot of uh, I mean both male and female are, are guilty of this for sure, but I feel like a lot of females you know, in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s even, they they don't train hard enough because they don't really have the perspective. Like they're trying to get healthy starting at that older age and mm -hmm. they, they kind of lack the perspective and the solid foundation that comes with just training your whole life. Um, so they have this skewed perspective on what a super solid productive workout is, but then they're also just chronically under eating um, and those two just don't really go well together under eating and then having kind of, you know, piss poor performance from a training standpoint. Um, 
I mean, you, I'm, I'm assuming you're eating a pretty adequate, healthy intake of calories on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah, I, um, I eat between, I would say, I say an average about 2,400, like twice, about twice a month, I will eat like 3000 calories if, if it feel, if I feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I feel like eating that much, I know it's because my body needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point though, where I actually ate, I think 4,100 calories before. <laughs> nice. See, I love that. I love hearing women <laughs> that eat a ton of food. <laughs> like that's a good thing. It's a, it's a sign of a very like healthy metabolism. And I think that, um, there's no way that I could eat 1600 calories at this point in my life. It's just, I I mean, unless I was depressed or something, I think, but, um, but over the course of, I would say the last 10 years, I, I know what my calories were at, at a certain point. And then, you know, I, I remember them spiking, it's spiking a little bit and then going back down a little bit. And I just, I don't know. I, I think it's amazing how when we are able to tolerate and can handle and need a, a really good, healthy amount of calories. I mean, I would say between 2,400 and 2,600 is my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it To me, it just lets, it tells me that, you know, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. My metabolism is doing okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, but I, 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 back to your point about, um, you know, people just starting to work out at an older age to kind of like, um, I guess, you know, maybe reverse some things that are already happening. Mm -hmm. I think one thing I remember when I was in seventh grade, looking around at what everybody was eating and thinking this can't be good. And I, I don't, you know, like chips and burgers and stuff like that. And I mean, I, I think about some stuff that I thought about when I was in seventh grade, and I don't know that that's normal for a seventh grader <laughs> to think about that stuff. But I think also when I was growing up, my mom and my dad, I watched both of them struggle with their weight and they would complain about it all the time. And I remember thinking, you know, li- life is hard enough as it is. I don't want that to be a struggle. I, you know, one of my mottos is, quit complaining and do something about it. And it's like, if don't complain about, you know, being unhealthy or, or being overweight or whatever, just fix it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if it's that simple, but there, the tools are out there and it, 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 it's hard, you know, especially if you have a lot of bad habits, but it's possible. And I feel like if it's, if it's possible to live your life healthy and to stay ahead of it instead of trying to catch up. I mean, I feel like, you know, if you're going to um, end up having, you're either going to have to spend a lot of money on your health on the front end or on the back end, or you're going to have to um, eat healthy on the front end, or you're going to have to eat healthy on the back end. You know, it's, 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 it's a preventative maintenance perspective. I think I've had that pretty much my whole life. It's, I don't want to, I want to do something because I want to do it, not because I have to do it because my health is declining, yeah. you know? And I think, you know, I mean, obviously being healthy at the get go and staying healthy is much more 
you know, optimal than letting yourself go and then trying to backpedal to regain health, that's a much harder journey than just making it a habit, you know, right out of the gates. But if you are on the other end of that spectrum and you, you know, are in a place that is not the epitome of health and you're trying to backpedal to regain that health, then accepting the fact that it's not going to happen overnight and just warming up to that is, is going to be key because if you've screwed your body up over years and years of eating incorrectly or not eating enough or not training enough or not training the right way, like it's not a realistic expectation to think you can just change the way you look and feel, you know, over six months or even over five years. Like embracing the fact that it's going to take a long time is the first step and then playing that long game with every decision you make going forward is key. Like if you, right. it's, it's it's hard to tell people though, like as, as a coach, no <laughs> client wants to jump on and have an initial consultation call with me and hear me say, yeah, you, you signed up with me to lose weight, but I'm just going to tell you, it's probably going to be years before you have that ideal physique because first thing we have to do is repair your metabolism, get you eating more food and training to build some lean tissue. And that's not going to happen overnight. And I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the pill you have to swallow. It, it is. And, you know, whenever um, I, I hear things like that, I my mind automatically goes to, do you know what the physiological process is in building muscle tissue? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go back to, you know, like um, uh, from a physiological standpoint, and that that all goes back to knowing the human body, you know, and how it operates and how it functions. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people don't even know, um, you know, basic anatomy. But yeah. so how can you build the physique that you want? I mean, I'm not saying that people have to be experts, but it, it helps to know a little bit about, you know, the process of building muscle and, and all of the components it takes to actually build muscle and, um, even learning how to work out the process of learning how to work out correctly. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, and, and learning what your pain threshold is and what you need to be feeling in, in the gym in order to really have a good quality workout. I think that, you know, sometimes when people feel like that first little bit of pain, it's like, oh, okay, that's too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done, <laughs> you know? Um, but there's so many, there are so many components to really having a good quality workout and learning what that means in order for you to see the results that you want to see. It's not just going to the gym and throwing weights around and then wondering why you're not ripped and you know yeah um but i i think that that's a really i think for people to fully understand uh, and i i really didn't understand how much i could push my body and how heavy i really needed to lift and the that burning sensation and that achiness that i needed to feel 25% this whole time, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this is what a hundred percent feels like. I cannot believe that this is what I was supposed to be feeling. Um, it's, you know, it can be a shock at first, but then it becomes addicting. I mean, I love that feeling now. I love it. So, you know, on that note, 
what what does I feel like this could be a really good opportunity for anybody listening to gain some perspective. I mean, you're 43, you're healthy, you're eating a healthy amount of calories, you know, you you're doing it right. So what does your training protocol look like? And again, it's going to be individualized. It's not going to be the same for everybody, but just to paint a picture for people listening to gain some perspective, you know, what does your training protocol currently look like? Um, it depends on if I'm focusing on, uh, an endurance event or, um, if I'm focusing on muscle building and I, I personally kind of, I love running, um, and I, I love lifting heavy. And a lot of times those, those two worlds are completely opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, if, if I want to focus on, um, uh, you know, running a, a really ha- a fast half marathon, which right now it's not possible, but, um, or an ultra marathon, then my, I am, I consciously have to make the decision to put my weightlifting on the back burner. It doesn't mean that I stop weightlifting. It just means that I know I can't go super heavy with legs and I know I can't work my legs very often. Um, which is when I'm training for, uh, um, uh, you know, high mileage race, I might work my legs every other week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's back what you said, once you have it, it's easier to maintain it than totally. it is to get it. So, um, and I will lift, um, if I'm focusing on running, I'll lift two to three times a week. And, um, you know, I just really focus on upper body, um, I love training shoulders and back. Um, and then I'll probably do, I may do just shoulders by themselves and just back by itself and then cha- train chest and arms together. Or I may train chest and back together and then shoulders and arms or, you know, whatnot. Um, if I'm focusing on lifting, then I will do um, probably a four to five day split and I might train back twice. Um, I like training, you know, I like doing a lot of like pull ups and pull down focused Mm. back. And then uh, the other back workout would be like rear delt focused. So it's with one of his, one of them might be width focused. And then the other one is like the muscle detail focused. Um, I, I have a very weird relationship with my legs and we're training my legs because my, like the lactic acid burns so like right away and so intensely that it's, um, I don't know if it's that way for a lot of people, but, um, and then my, my legs also stay sore for days after. So, um, right now I'm training legs once a week. And, um, cause I'm not focusing on running. Um, but, uh, I, I'll train shoulders for an hour, just shoulders. And then, you know, I'll train back for an hour too. And are you doing like um, a lot of like how many sets and reps? Like, are, are you doing supersets or drop sets or I assume you're probably not, you know, doing a mediocre set and then scrolling through Instagram for five minutes before the next set, which I think is a lot of people's <laughs> idea of working out. Yeah, I actually, um, that's one of those things where I, I will work out based on feel like, um, this week when I worked out my shoulders, I didn't plan on doing this, but I think I did 10 sets 
of Smith Machine sh- seated shoulder presses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only going to do like four or five, but then I really started feeling it. And then I decided to do a, a ladder set. So I went, I did like a pyramid one way. And then when I got to my fifth set, I was like, maybe I'll just go back down. I love doing that. <laughs> oh my God, it was crazy. And that was just the start of the workout. And then, um, yeah, I will I will do straight sets, heavy. Um, with that one, I ended up doing longer rest periods because I wanted to go heavy. And then um, the rest of the workout, I did super sets with like you know, dumbbell front raises. And um, I love like old school workouts. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, the way they trained in the basement in the 70s, you know, oh, just – just old school, straight up heavy lifting. I, I, I guess to your comment earlier about me being a female and, um, you know, I, I, I like lifting like a guy and eating like a guy. I don't know, like stereotypical. I feel like it, you don't, there's, I don't know that there necessarily has to be, a, a like a female way of working out and eating and a male way of working out and eating. I think that what works for the human body to build muscle is what works for the human body to build muscle. Our hormones are what dictate what the response is. You, that needs to be written somewhere for (laughs) all to see. I'm so, I'm, I'm literally going to take that excerpt out and use it because that is dead on the money. I mean, I look at Crystal and I, and we train, pretty much the same way she goes heavy she doesn't do all these like ridiculous little booty band workouts as her primary you know method for gaining muscle in her legs like she's doing heavy ass squats and she's going down deep and she's eating like I eat and that's what works I mean that is what is going to work based off of physiology and not some crazy you know made up formula that people like to throw out there like your body has got to be put through certain demanding uh you know stimuli in order to see a response and that takes the form of proper training and proper nutrition and that is going to i mean your sex and your hormones dictate the degree at which that stimulus is you know going to affect the uh, the look of the physique but it's not going to determine whether or not it works or not so doing what works is going to be pretty similar between male and female right we do not have the testosterone to build muscle like a man. It is just not possible. And women who do look like men are taking the testosterone that is necessary to build that muscle. And I I just think one of the funniest comments that I'm sure you've gotten too is, I don't want to build too much muscle. Yeah. <laughs> ridiculous okay oops i accidentally gained you know five pounds of muscle ten pounds of muscle (laughs) and the thing is like the more muscle you have the better metabolism you have so especially as you get older i mean having muscle having adequate lean tissue is the best thing you can do for your longevity and overall well-being that's going to be the best thing to improve your metabolism so any female's goal should be to build as much muscle as possible because if they're doing it naturally without added testosterone they're going to look better. They're going to feel better. They're going to live longer. They're going to have a much higher quality of life. Absolutely. And, you know, that that whole lean muscle, I want to build lean muscle. I, I always want to say, well, what, what other kind of muscle? Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. Muscle is by de- by uh, by, de- <laughs> by definition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I want to tone. Um, uh, will you teach me how to tone, please? Yes. Yes. Um, w- one other thing is um, with training. I don't know if you've run into this or if Crystal's run into this before, but a lot of times I'll get clients who want to, um, you know, transform you have some kind of body recomposition in some way, physique transformation, and they want to lose weight and then build muscle. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, that that's backwards. (laughs) You need to build the muscle first and then, you know, it, you're, you will naturally lean out, but it will also be a lot easier to lose body fat once you build that muscle. Totally. You know, these, it's funny because these concepts like to you and I, it's just kind of common sense, honestly. Like it's just second nature. Yeah. It's like that's just what we know. That's what we do. We can speak about it confidently because it's just obvious and it just works. We can feel it at play in our own bodies. But these concepts are so just abstract to people that don't have this basic knowledge. Not that I'm putting us on a pedestal by any means. It's the last thing I want to do. Right. But I think we have gained this knowledge because – We've taken this long game, healthy, natural approach to our training and to our nutrition. And once you start diving in and going down that road and start doing all these self experiments and actually, you know, having that mind muscle connection, then you can you can read that language just effortlessly. Right. And that is definitely something that I I try to be very aware of is that I forget what what the average person does not know, what the person who is not just immersed in fitness every day, all day, um, and this is our world, and some of these things are just like common sense to us because this is just our world every day, and it, I have to remember that not everybody is, you know, has been versed in this or has been exposed to this information. That to me is just you know common knowledge Mm -hmm. and i have to remember that (laughs) well i am glad you are spreading the word because there's a lot of people in the health space especially in like the competitive space that it's honestly just shocking like they all just point to you know the drugs or some quick fix and taking people's calories down way 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 too low for far too long so it's it's like i'm excited to hear you say these things because oftentimes i feel like i'm alone in this fight like i don't know of any other people that are saying these same messages so it's very refreshing and encouraging for me to hear you say the same things that's awesome well i feel the same too i i feel like sometimes i i'm the only one who who feels this way and who has to remember that you know it's health above everything health is absolutely the whole reason i i feel like it's the whole reason why any of us initially like started this journey in the first place and so, you know, there's that whole saying of remember your why. Well, mm-hmm. in, in this whole entire journey, the the initial why is for health, longevity, quality of life. Totally. And no, nothing else is, is worth that, you know, worth losing that over. Yeah, I mean, the, like you said earlier, like the time is going to pass regardless. You might as well fill that time doing what you know is contributing to your overall betterment. And then when you do that and it becomes a habit, it becomes your lifestyle, you continually and progressively get better, then you can offer something of value to the world 
beyond just yourself. And then you can offer something of value to your loved ones. It just becomes this this positive feedback loop instead of this negative feedback loop, which most people are experiencing with their, you know, poor health, poor nutrition, poor training. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, Naomi, where can people go to find out more about you and learn about all this insightful wisdom you obtain? Yeah, I am on Instagram at Naomi, N-A-O-M-I underscore Rabin, R-A-B as in boy, O-N. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, I think it's, I think you could just look up Naomi Haley Rabin on Facebook. You know, I just uh, was was stalking on Instagram prior to this <laughs> podcast, and I realized that in your bio, <laughs> you only get so many characters in your bio in the first place, and, and you've allocated some of your characters to say keto brick eater. <laughs> That's probably one of the coolest characters I've seen in a bio in quite some time. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I didn't want to just be like, uh, you know, keto I don't know what people say but keto athlete or whatever but I I mean I I think I've been eating keto bricks since the day you launched them I love it I love it that means the world to me well let me know next time you do like a in like an endurance run like a 50 mile or the half marathon you're talking about I'll hook you up with some bricks and we can use that as a I'd be curious to see what it works like from an ultra marathon standpoint oh absolutely I, I would love to do that more experiments. More experiments, for sure. Well, Naomi, <laughs> keep spreading the good message. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on here with me. I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. You too.